We get back on our horses. We ride south. We end up back down in Judah where we're going to meet another queen mother. An actual woman who now is going to reign on the throne in Judah. Her name is Atalia. That's how you say it. And Athaliah became the queen over Judah. She's so much like Jezebel in what she does that you'd think, man, she's got to be like Jezebel's daughter. And you'd be right, she is. She is. 2 Kings 8, 18, and 26 give us that information. And we find out from Athaliah that the poison apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Verse 1 of chapter 11, When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, remember Ahaziah was killed by Jehu, When she saw that her son was dead, she rose and destroyed all the royal offspring. Children. She killed all the possible children who could rise to the throne because she wanted it for herself. She does what Egypt's pharaoh tried to do when Moses was born. She does what Haman, the Persian, attempted in the days of Esther. She does what Herod would do centuries later. She slew the infant offspring of the house of David. This is how wicked Athaliah truly is. By the way, the only answer that makes any sense out of the age-old blight of anti-Semitism is this. Satan has always had it in for the Jewish people. He has always wanted to take out the Jewish people. Before Jesus came, it was all about destroying the Messianic bloodline. If you can kill the bloodline, stop the line of the house of David, then Messiah can't be born and people can't be saved. And what's amazing here in our story, when Athaliah does this, we get down to one child that stood between you and me and eternal damnation. One child. One that gets slipped away and hidden and is not killed because if Adalia had killed all of the children of the house of David there would be none left to continue that line that God promised would continue through to Messiah she is a wicked wicked woman indeed by the way after Jesus came people might say well why does Satan still keep going after Israel when Messiah came he couldn't stop that because now if he can wipe out Israel as he tried with Hitler then all the old prophecies that God made concerning Israel could not come to pass. So Satan thinks, man, if I can wipe out Israel, great. Then I can prove God wrong and I have something to stand up on. He's so foolish. He has no idea. He won't accomplish it any more than he couldn't accomplish stopping the coming of Messiah. Because the Lord knows what's coming and it's a done deal. Verse 2 of chapter 11 But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons who were being put to death, and placed him and his nurse in the bedroom. So they hid him from Athaliah, and he was not put to death. Verse 3, So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord, that would be in the temple, for six years, while Athaliah was reigning over the land. Two people you got to meet. Two people. Aunt Jehoshaphat and Uncle Jehoiada. Okay, these two people, Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada. Jehoshaphat, who we just saw here in verse 2, is married to Jehoiada, who you'll see in just a moment. She's the one who keeps baby Joash in the temple and cares for him for the first six years of his life, hidden from the queen. Her name means Jehovah has sworn, which is a perfect name for this woman. Jehovah has sworn. Because that's exactly what the Lord did in protecting and in saving the life of little Joash, baby Joash here. In doing that, God saved us. He saved our lives. 
He kept his lamp that he swore to keep for David in the city of Jerusalem. Back in 2 Kings 8.19, it says, The Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David, his servant, since he had promised to give him a lamp to him through his son always. Psalm 132, verse 11, tells us the Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body, I will set upon your throne. We know he's talking about Jesus. Of the fruit of the body of David, through the line of David, the house of Judah, Jesus himself would come. And the psalmist wrote in Psalm 132, 17, he says, There in Jerusalem, I will cause the horn of David to spring forth. I prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall shine. So Jehoshaphat, this woman who spent six years of her life in the temple raising little Joash. But there's also Jehoiada, who is the high priest. Verse 4 says, In the seventh year, that's the seventh year of this boy Jehoash's life, In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of hundreds of the Territes of the guard. And he brought, them, he brought them to him in the house of the Lord. So he drew them into the temple. And he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord. And he showed them the king's son. During, during Ataya's reign of terror, people didn't know that there was any other option until Jehoiada brings these guys in and shows them. Here he is. There is an offspring. There is someone who can be raised up to the throne, to the king. Jehoiada. His name means Jehovah knows. And he knows the right thing to do. Protect this heir of the house of David. Keep him safe. So while Satan uses Italia and the Herods of the world and the Hitlers, the Lord himself had sworn to protect the line of Jesus. And that's exactly what he does. That's why this story is in here. Showing us how... how Intricately, God protected our salvation. Even down to one little boy, this little boy, Joash. Amazing. By the way, why didn't Italia find him and kill him? If you've been in Jerusalem, it's not far from where the palace is, or the, the, the house of the, the king would be, to the temple. I mean, you, you would think you'd even be able to hear a baby's cry from there. Why didn't she find Joash in the temple? And the answer is easy. She didn't go to the temple. This woman didn't worship there. And because she had nothing to do with the temple, she had no idea what was going on behind its walls. Now watch this, verse 5. He commanded them, this is Jehoiada, saying, This is what you shall do. One third of you who came in on the Sabbath, keep watch over the king's house. One third shall also be at the gate of Sir, and one third at the gate behind the guards. And you shall keep watch over the house for defense. Two parts of you, even all who go out on the Sabbath, shall also keep watch over the house of the Lord, that is the temple, for the king. He's setting up a guard, protection all about. And then he says, You shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand. And whoever comes within the ranks shall be put to death. And be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in. He's setting up a secret service for Joash right here. Verse 9, The captains of the hundreds did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. And each one of them took his men who were to come in on the Sabbath and those who were to go out on the Sabbath. And they came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave to the captains of hundreds the spears and shields that had been King David's which were in the house of the Lord. These spears and shields had apparently been up on the walls for show and had not been used since David's time. But they needed to be used now. So they took them down and passed them around. 
sons. And then he brought the king's sons out, verse 12, and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they made him king and anointed him and they clapped their hands and they said, Long live the king! And as they're shouting this and this big celebration is going on and there's a new anointed king for Israel, verse 13, Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people. She came to the people in the house of the Lord. She looked and behold, the, the king was standing by the pillar according to the custom with the captains and trumpeters beside the king. Then all the people of the land rejoiced and blew trumpets. And then Atalia tore her clothes and cried, Treason! Treason! And Jehoiada, the priest, commanded the captains of hundreds who were appointed over the army and said to them, Bring her out between the ranks and whoever follows her, put her to death with the sword. So the priest said, Let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. So they seized her and when she arrived at the horse's entrance of the king's house she was put to death there and then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they would be the Lord's people and also between the king and the people I like this guy Jehoiada this priest knew where it was at this is a guy of, of reform this is a man of revival he is trying to get things back on track and God would bless him for it and it says in verse 18, All the people of the land went to the house of Baal, and they tore it down. His altars, his images, they broke in pieces thoroughly. And they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. I don't know why he wasn't at the other celebration of Baal. Apparently he got away or wasn't there at all. And the priest appointed officers now over the house of the Lord, which is the temple. He took the captains of hundreds and the Kerites and the guards and all the people of the land and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord and came by the way of the gate of the guards to the king's house. And he sat on the throne of the kings and all the people of the land rejoiced and the city was quiet. So they had put Athaliah to death with the sword at the king's house. Joash, verse 21 was seven years old when he became king. He would be the youngest king in the history of Israel. He would reign for 40 years in Jerusalem and he's one of the good guys. Mostly. Verse 1 of chapter 12 in the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash or Joash, same name, he became king. So now he is the eighth king in the line of Judah. And he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem and his mother's name was Zabiah of Beersheba. And Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all his days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Only the high places were not taken away and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. How do you take a seven-year-old and raise him up such that he can lead an entire nation righteously? A seven-year-old kid becomes king over Israel. How do you do that? A couple of ways. Number one, in verse 3, we look back, verse 3 of 11, chapter 11. He was hidden in the house of the Lord for six years. He was hidden in the temple. Joash, as a small child, grew up with a familiarity with the temple. He knew the temple well. He visited it. He lived there for six years. So when he would visit it later, it would be like going back to his childhood. There was a foundation laid there, gang. Something Athalia never understood because she never went to the temple. But Joash grew up there. He felt at home there. And Jehoiada and Jehoshaphat were like godly parents to him. He reminds me in a way of Samuel. The prophet Samuel who was raised in the temple. Same thing. He had a foundation. A foundation of the temple. 
Psalm 27 verse 4 David wrote one thing I have asked from the Lord one thing and that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple David would say the temple and that's where I would want to be and remember David wanted to build the temple he could only dream about it Solomon was the one who built it but David was the one who said that's where I want to be that's where my heart is wherever the Lord is it's the place I want to dwell. Even today, there's something amazing about walking on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. About actually being up on top of that thing. And, and even though you see the big you know, dome of the temple in the middle there and you see other things, you still have a sense, a sense of wonder and awe. And for the people of Israel to go up to the temple and enter there. For Joash to be raised in the temple, gang, this was huge. And it laid a foundation for this child to be the king that he needed to be. By the way, parents, this is key to raising godly children. And it's familiarity with the house of the Lord. Sometimes when my own kids, I say to them, I, you got to be there. you got to be there. And they'll roll their eyes and like, yeah, but I, I've got a lot of homework. I've, got a lot, I've had a long day. But they're understanding that familiarity with the house of the Lord is a critical foundation to living for the Lord as you grow up. I'm not talking so much about the temple or even a church building or structure. I'm talking about having your kids where God's people are. And having ourselves where God's people are. The Hebrew writer wrote this, this two verses. He said, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The writer of Hebrews, Paul, I believe, would say we need to spend more time together gathered as a fellowship. We need more time, as a, not less, as life gets busier and as apostasy becomes more imminent. As judgments around the corner, as the day is coming, we need this more. More time together as a fellowship. More interaction, more worshiping together, more in the word together time, more just loving each other. That verse, when I was a kid, Hebrews 10.25, it's not my parents' fault, but when I was a kid, that verse was used for guilt trips. A lot of you have stopped coming to church midweek, and so we need to remember not to forsake the assembling of the saints. Hebrews 10.25, I heard that said so many times to the point that I got kind of tired of it. I thought, I'll forsake the assembly if I want to. <laughs> And now I read it and I see something precious here that we see in the life of Joash. You want a strong foundation? Man, you need to be where God's people are. You need to be in the house of the Lord. Barb said Sunday morning, there is something different about worshiping as a community. I can worship by myself and it's great and it's precious. I can pray in my own prayer closet. I can gather with a small group and draw close to the Lord, but there is something different when the body, when the congregation gathers together and calls on the name of the Lord. And it's a foundation game that, that we need. But there's something else that Joash had going for him. Not only was he hidden in the temple, he was also handed the testimony. Look back at verse 12 of chapter 11. They brought the king's son out. They put the crown on him and they gave him the testimony. What is the testimony? You Bible students, you know what it is. It's Torah. It's the writings of Moses. It's the Bible. And the kings, that was the most critical thing. More important than the crown was the testimony. When a man became king over Israel or Judah, that was supposed to be the first thing handed to the king. 
Deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 18 says it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall be with him and he'll read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes so that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom and in the midst of Israel. He was handed the testimony. And so Joash would be the beginning of four kings who would be good in Judah. All because this man began his life hidden in the temple and handed the testimony as the king. You know, we can do a lot of messing up as parents. And many of you with grown kids would say, yeah. And the older my kids get, the more I'm able now to look back at their younger days and think, oh, I wish I had done that differently. I wish I had, boy, I, I wish I had controlled this better or handled that better. But I'll tell you something. If we keep our kids hidden in the temple, in the fellowship of believers, if we hand them the testimony, the word of God, they will have a far greater chance of growing up with a royal faith that will not leave them. Joash did. In fact, he grew up with a special love for the temple. Verse 4 says, Jehoash said to the priests, All the money of the sacred things which is brought into the house of the Lord and current money, both the money of each man's assessment and all the money which any man's heart prompts him to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priests take it for themselves, each from his acquaintance, and they shall repair the damages of the house wherever any damage may be found. Young Joash is looking at the temple where he was raised and he recognized this thing is in disrepair. Now by the time Joash comes along, it'd be in about 130 to 140 years since the building of the temple. So it's time for a little refurbishment. A little cleaning up, a little patch-up job here and there. But we find out in the book of Chronicles there was another reason why the temple needed repair. 2 Chronicles 24 verse 7 says the sons of the wicked Atalia had broken into the house of God and had even used the holy things of the house of the Lord for the Baals. You see, this is a different picture of some children. Atalia's children who never went to temple, who never saw the testimony. And so what they did was tore into the house of God, messed with it, broke things down and tore it up. And so Joash has a heart for the temple. And in verse 6, it tells us, But it came about that in the 23rd year of King Joash, the priests had not repaired the damages of the house. So quite a bit of time has now gone by. And King Joash called for Jehoiada the priest and for the other priests and said to them, Why do you not repair the damages of the house? Now therefore take no more money from your acquaintances, but pay for it, but pay it for the damages of the house. And so the priests agreed that they would take no more money from the people nor repair the damages of the house. Now you read that and go, what? Well, wait a minute. They're not going to repair it and they're not going to take money? What, what is this saying? The bottom line is the job is not getting done. Joash had a plan A and a plan B. Plan A was for the priests to take the money that they were already receiving, the, the general offerings that were already coming in, and repair the temple. Well, the problem was, apparently, not enough money was coming in to repair the temple. And so the priest just didn't do it. Well, you're going to ask me to give up my salary to, prepare, to, to repair the temple? No, I'm not. And so they didn't. And so it comes back around, and plan B now is for the priest to hire out professionals. And that's what he wants them to do. By the way, it's often true that, that pastors and priests are not the best builders in the world. I know this about myself. 
But my grandfather, he bought an odd little cabin up in Idlewild, California. We went there when I was a kid, and I loved going there. Really cool, funky design. I mean, you'd go up the stairs, which kind of wrapped around. There was a bedroom here, and then there was a bedroom here. And, and I'm not sure, but I think if you went outside, you'd probably see each bedroom kind of propped up with stilts or something. You know, I mean, it was, it was really poorly designed. Great little cabin, but not in the best shape. And my grandfather, after buying it, he, he owned it for a while, and it had been built by a pastor. And he said more than once, he said, preachers should stick to preaching and let the builders do the buildings. <laughs> so I think in our case, that's probably what we're going to do. I'm just going to stay hands off. But verse 13 going on. Have we gone that far down yet? No. No, we haven't. Okay. Let's go from verse 9. So Jehoiada the priest took a chest... And he bored a hole in its lid, and he put it beside the altar on the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. And I thought, that's kind of cool. We do that. we got a box with a hole in it, and it sits right in the back. Same kind of idea. And the priest who guarded the threshold put in it all the money which was brought into the house of the Lord. When they saw that there was much money in the chest, the king's scribe and the high priest came to tie it up in bags and counted the money which was found in the house of the Lord. And they gave the money which was weighed out into the hands of those who did the work, who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they paid it out to the carpenters and builders who worked on the house of the Lord, and to the masons and the stonecutters for the buying of timber and hewn stone to repair the damages to the house of the Lord, and for all that was laid out for the house of the Lord. So what they're doing here is a building campaign. They set aside this box, and it's the first time we see this in Scripture, and I I didn't think I'd find something like this. I'm actually a little surprised, Tom. There is biblical evidence for a fundraising drive for doing building. Now, I've already committed that we're not going to do that at the bridge, so rest easy. But that's what they did here. They set up a box there just past the altar to the right of the entrance of the temple. And as people went in, that was the box for building. You could drop your money in there, and that money went directly to the repair of the temple. And then you had your other place where you could give your tithes and offerings, which, by the way, I'm going to give you an opinion here. And you can take it for what it's worth. I think there's a difference between tithes and offerings, biblically. The tithe has always been, and is biblically to this day, the tithe means 10%. It is a giving of 10%. That's what tithe means. You don't tithe by tossing in less than that. Tithe means 10%. And so when the people would tithe, biblically, they would give a 10%. And that tithe was simply given to the Lord. It wasn't for special projects. It wasn't determined as to where it would go. Okay, I'm going to give 5% of my, of my offering to missions and 2% to youth. And I'd really like 1% to go over here to building. And whatever's left, well, then, you know, the church can just kind of have that. The tithe was just give it to the Lord. Let go. The tithe was about faith. The offerings separately were about generosity. And see, we we get this confused nowadays. And I can tell you this because you're the mature group on Wednesday night. (laughs) But we get confused with tithes and offerings. And we either think tithes and offerings just means my giving, which it doesn't. Or we think... My tithe, I can designate to one thing or another, and and this is just my opinion. And I know there are good people who disagree with me, and I still love them, and, and we'll go on from there. But I believe biblically what the Bible teaches is that the tithe is your act of faith. Your offering is your generosity. 
The tithe is what you just give to the Lord. You let it go. You don't say, I want to see where this goes. Your offering is what you give to Compassion International or World Vision. Or you say, I want to support this this ministry over here. I'm going to help this missionary out. That's going to be my offerings. That's out of my. That's not out of my surplus. That's that's just going to be out of me giving. The tithe, the tithe gain, biblically speaking, is what is what we give. It's our first fruits. I sit down, and before writing any other bills, the tithe would be saying, I'm writing a check to the Lord. 10% of whatever comes in. I'm writing it to the Lord. I'm putting it in the box. I'm letting it go. Why would you do that? To deepen your faith. To trust the Lord. And on Sunday, as we talked about, to see the kingdom grow. Do you realize that if everybody in any given church did that, do you realize how much there would be in the coffers I mean, it would be unbelievable sadly in churches less than 10% of the people who go to church even give 10% and that's just kind of a, a true statistic in church and I'm not saying this to try and badger or guilt trip anyone in remember I don't know what anybody gives okay I have no idea about that and I don't want to know but I believe biblically and you can disagree with me there's a difference between the tithe and the offering. This box that they bored the hole in the top of that would be for the offerings of the, of the um, building and the restoration of the temple, this was not their tithe. This was what anybody decided to give so the temple could be restored above and beyond their regular tithe to the temple. Well, how do you know that? Because it says so a little bit further down. It says in verse 16, I'll skip to that, the money from the guilt offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It was for the priests. Their typical offerings continued to go where they went in the first place. This was a separate deal that was set up for the building of that or the restoration of the temple. Now verse 13 going on, it tells us, and we're almost done, so hang on just a minute more. There were not made for the house of the Lord silver cups, snuffers, bowls, trumpets, or any vessels of gold or vessels of silver from the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. Now what we find out later in 2 Chronicles 24.14 is later on there would be so much surplus that they would use this stuff to repair and to replace some of those, some of those implements that were in the temple. Verse 14 says, For they gave that to those who did the work, and with it they repaired the house of the Lord. Moreover, they did not require an accounting from the men into whose hand they gave the money to pay those who did the work. And they dealt it faithfully. So these guys were so trustworthy as they went to work on the temple, and they were given so much of their time and energy and everything else, they didn't even need receipts. Which I think would be awfully cool. The money from the guilt offerings and the money from the sin offerings, as we read, was not brought into the house of the Lord. It was for the priests. So we have a biblical example of a separate building fund separate from the usual tithes and offerings. But here's the point. Here's the bottom line of all that and why I paused and went there for a moment. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 verse 20, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where where the thieves do not break in or steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the truth is, gang, as individual Christians or even as a church body, An uncomfortably obvious indicator of our hearts is how we use our money. It really is. Take a look at your expenditures over the last six months and you'll have a pretty good idea where your heart is. If I look at that, if I just go back and say, what did I spend my money on? Probably that's the stuff that really is more important to me than anything else. It's a good way to check. Well, as good as Joash's reign seems to have been, it ends tragically. Verse 17. 
Then Hazael, king of Aram, went up and fought against Gath and captured it. And Hazael set his face to go up to Jerusalem. And Gath is on the western side of Jerusalem, so now he's going to come back and overrun Judah. And so it says in verse 18 that Jehoash, uh, king of Judah, took all the sacred things that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, his father's kings of Judah, had, Judah had dedicated, and his own sacred things, and all the gold that was found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house, and he sent them to Hazael, king of Aram, and then he went away from Jerusalem. What's he doing? Jehoash, where's your faith, man? He's buying Hazael off. He's saying, oh, okay, don't attack us. We'll, we'll, we'll pay tribute to you. And it was a bad move. Why would he do something like that? We'll hold that question. And then it says, Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah. His servants arose and made a conspiracy and struck down Joash at the house of the Milo as he was going down to Selah. For Jazakar, son of Shimeoth, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Shomer, his servants struck him. And he died, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David, and Amaziah, his son, became king in his place. Why does this happen? I mean, Joash was a good king, right? Hidden in the temple, raised there, and handed the testimony, and and he had the temple restored and taken care of. Why does this happen to this seemingly good king, Joash? You're not going to believe it. Joash fell to idolatry. Just like all the other kings tended to do. In fact, Joash not only fell to idolatry, he fell to murder. Turn over to Second Chronicles 24. Check this out. Second Chronicles 24. Second Chronicles 24. If you look down in about... Verse verse 18. Watch this. They abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the ashram and the idols. So wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their guilt. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. Though they had testified against them, they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came on Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada. Jehoiada, remember, the one who raised Joash? Well, his son is a prophet. The Spirit of God comes on him, Zechariah, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus God said, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord and do not prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord. He has also forsaken you. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, this is Joash, they stoned him to death in the court of the house of the Lord. Remember when Jesus would later say, You who killed the prophets? He's talking about Joash. This guy who started so well who had the word in his hand who who was hidden in the temple it says verse 22 thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which his father Jehoiada had shown him but he murdered his son and as he died he said may the Lord see and avenge and truly that's what happened Jehoash was murdered himself he was avenged for the very death that he carried out why does this happen this is the depressing thing about sitting through the books of Kings, First and Second Kings. Over and over and over, a king starts well and you're starting to cheer and think, here's a good one, here's a good one. Oh no! Idolatry enters, sin enters, they don't walk in the way of the Lord. Why is this? Listen closely. Even if you're hidden in the temple, 
and fellowship with other believers even if you've been handed the testimony and you're in the word you have Bible study going for you there are still things that will set you and me up for a fall and one of those Jehoash he ignored the high places in the land back in verse 3 of chapter 12 we saw that it says that even though he did right in the sight of the Lord all his days in which Jehoiada the priest had instructed him only the high places were not taken away the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places Joash ignored them we're just going to let those be you know we know that Ahab's house was wiped out and Baal's been wiped out so we're good we're alright we don't have to go after all the high places throughout the land of Israel he left them there and those high places would become Joash's own downfall because he fell to idolatry he himself would fall under the peer pressure of people in his court and the people of Israel saying, Come on, there's a great party out at one of the high places tonight. Let's go worship there. You can worship God. That's cool. Let's just go worship there with everybody else and have broader fellowship. So he would go. He would worship. And he fell hard. What is it that stands between you and a deeper faith? Pause and think for a moment, what are the high places in your life? The places that while you were giving your heart to the Lord, while you were entrusting yourself to Him, the places you said, I'm not going to deal with that right now. I'll deal with that later. I'm just going to leave that alone because I'm, 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 I'm going to church. <laughs> I wasn't doing that before. You know, I'm in the Word now. And I'm worshiping and I'm starting to pray and things are going. But you know, those things, I'm just going to let that ride. I'm just going to let that cruise over here for a while. What are your high places? What are the things that are limiting your trust in the one true God? High places are anything in our lives that we will run to or go to instead of the Lord. Places we'll go when we need peace. Places we'll go to receive strength or comfort rather than the Lord. We all have our high places. I had a list that I had started and I stopped and thought, no, that's no fun. You all know what your high places are. You know what your struggles are. I don't have to tell you. I know what mine are. And in my personal prayer life, those are the things that we need to present our high places to the Lord and say, Lord, you alone can take this down. Will you take this down in my life? Will you remove this issue? Because I'm kind of certain it right now. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul wrote, The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality and impurity and sensuality, idolatry, Sorcery and enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you. Here comes the warning before the judgment, by the way. He says that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are high places. High places throughout America, high places throughout our lives that are the things that are keeping us from a real trusting relationship with the Father. What is it for you? What's the high place? It's right after this that Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Yes, Rick, we know those. I'm glad you do. I'm glad you do. Because against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus are seeking to have the high places torn down. Why is that? Well, the fruit of the Spirit will not grow on our high places. The fruit of the Spirit won't grow there. They've got to be torn down. Ask the Lord to do it.
tear down the high places in your life. What are these strongholds that stand against you? I'll tell you one of the big ones in my life, and the reason why I talked about giving earlier was giving. We were in Southern California at the time, and I was serving in a large church and a large church youth ministry, and things were going really well, and I was kind of living high on the hog of ministry. I was... Well, I was pretty proud of my legend in my own mind anyway. Things were going well there. And I began to think, to shift my gaze away from youth ministry toward becoming a senior pastor. And I thought, well, I I think I'm ready for this now. I'm ready to go and and really really do something big for you. I was about 34, 35 years old at the time. And I'm ready to take it on. You know, our our senior pastor was in the process of resigning. And they were going to be looking for another senior pastor. Church is 2,500. And I thought... I'm right here. It's perfect. It's me. Just, I'll just slide right out of youth ministry on into the senior pastor position of this great church. And I began praying about that seriously and saying, Lord, I'd love to do this. So, so what do I need to do? And God showed me something. I said, Rick, you got a stronghold in your life. And until you deal with the stronghold, you're not going to be able to do this. And the stronghold was given for 35 years of my life. I didn't give. I didn't give at all. It wasn't that I didn't give a tithe. It was I didn't give, period. And as I prayed about it, gang, that was a high place for me. Cheryl was the one who for years would come up to me and say, Hon, we've got to start tithing. We've got to start really trusting the Lord. And I'd say, show me how. You know, I do the bills every month. You show me how. We can pull 10% and we can't do it. It's impossible. And that was where my heart was. And it was a stronghold for me in my life. And so I began praying, Lord, I... If you want to tear down this stronghold, you've got to show me how, because I can't. Cheryl can't show me how. You've got to show me. <laughs> and God provided a way. He caused us to resign from that church and move up here, and to have a total shift in living where all of a sudden we were able to make a commitment. And I'm not saying this to say, oh, look at Rick and his... That's not the point of this. Please don't hear that. The point is, there are high places in our lives that will keep us from doing what God is calling us to do if we don't tear them down. And I share that with you because, not to my glory, but to my shame, that for 35 of my 43 years, I never gave. I'm I'm just playing catch-up right now. High places in our lives. But Jehoash had one more problem. It was something that allowed him to fall under the weight of idolatry, Gang, Jehoash lost his helper. He lost his helper, Jehoiada. Let me read you one more time from 2 Chronicles 24. In verse 2, it tells us Jehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada, the priest. In other words, as long as Jehoiada was around, Jehoash was right on. He was following the Lord. He was trusting the Lord. He was living for the Lord as long as he had his father and mentor there helping him do it. But it tells us in verse 17, But after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. And that was the problem. Once Jehoiada was gone, Joash, he fell away. Do you have a Jehoiada in your life? Someone who encourages you. And someone who builds you up. And someone who keeps saying, even when it's hard, keep trusting God. Keep walking with the Lord. Hang in there. I'll see you Sunday. Hey, I'll I'll meet you for Bible study. Let's get together and pray. Do you have someone in your life who is that kind of accountability for you? Joash needed it. And as long as he had it, he walked strong in the Lord. But the moment Jehoiada died, 
He lost it. And he began listening to others who drew him away. Do you have a Jehoiada in your life who encourages you? And by the way, you might for a moment tonight think, I don't know if I do. You do. We all do. Do you remember what Jehoiada's name means? It means Jehovah knows. Someone in your life who knows what Jehovah knows. Well, who knows what Jehovah knows? 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, The Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You see, we have something that Jehoiada was for Joash, but something Joash never really had. Joash never had the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. Now, I talked about the Spirit a couple Sundays ago, and someone asked the question, Well, Rick, wait, do you think that the Holy Spirit comes and goes? When people talk about having a fresh outpouring of the Spirit or asking the Holy Spirit to be here, do you mean that you don't think that the Holy Spirit's always there? No. I absolutely believe the Holy Spirit is always present in the life of a believer. The Bible promises us that. When you give your life to Jesus, when you're baptized, specifically, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have this promise Joash didn't have. The kings of Israel, you wonder why they keep falling time and time again. They did not have the indwelling Spirit of God. They didn't have the mind of Christ. They had the best that they could do. They had the testimony. And they had people around them that could, could help. But they didn't have the Spirit. We do. We have the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said of him, I will ask the Father, John 14, 16, and he will give you a helper. That word in in the Greek, parakletos, which means one who walks alongside. I'll give you the helper that he may be with you forever. John 14, 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things, and he'll bring to your remembrance all that I, Jesus says, all I have said to you. Someone who is full of the Holy Spirit, by the way, is someone who thinks in terms of the words of Jesus. And Jesus in John 15, 26 said, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. The surest sign that a church is led by the Holy Spirit is that Jesus is preached there, that Jesus is talked about there, that Jesus is A number one, the focus as sure as that's a sign that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in your life, that you're thinking about Jesus. And as Jehoiada pointed Joash to the Lord, so the Spirit points us to Jesus. John 16:13 says, He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will de- disclose to you what is to come. Jesus says, He will glorify Me, for He will take of Mine and will disclose it to you. We have a Jehoiada. We have a Jehovah knows. We have the mind of Christ. In the Holy Spirit. That's awesome. We are learning, gang, how to walk and to think and to talk and to faith, or that is to believe God spiritually. We are changing, we are shifting in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and go back and read this from about verse 10 through verse 16 on to verse 18. He's talking there. Paul says, you know, we are changing into spiritually minded people. Instead of carnally minded. See, the carnally minded people have the high places. But the spiritually minded people, they're tearing those down right and left because all they want is the Spirit of God speaking in their life. Our teacher isn't out there. 
like Jehoiada was for Joash, our teacher is in here. Our teacher doesn't die and go away like Jehoiada did, leaving Joash to fend for himself. Our teacher is right here, present with us always. And I guarantee you something. When the Holy Spirit goes home, we'll go home with it. He will not leave us, Jesus said, as orphans. Holy Spirit of the living God, who knows what Yahweh knows, who glorifies Jesus the Son, and who guides us into all the truth. And Paul says in Galatians 5.25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Amen? Let's pause and pray together here. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we shudder. We actually approach you, Father, in fear at judgment and wrath. We recognize through Jehu that that picture of judgment. And Father, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so we revere you, Lord. And we fear you with a healthy and a holy fear. And we recognize, Father, that you will do as you've said you will do. That there is a judgment coming. Father, we pray, would you build us up in this temple, in this barn, in this fellowship? Would you fill us up, Father, with your word? And Holy Spirit, remain within us that that we can be vessels of yours in this world. That we can be those who, like Joash, are about the restoration of the church and repairing the temple and restoring relationships, Father. And may we never fall from the truth, but always stand for Jesus in this world. Convict us, Father, in our hearts and lead us forward as your children in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. We'll go on to chapter 13 on Sunday. Some good stuff.